Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The following recording may or may not include instances of words being said that the FCC would find me for if their long arm could ever reach. It's Friday, February 28th, 2020. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The coronavirus is a daunting challenge, which is challenging because we don't know exactly how daunting it is. Dread is anguish plus uncertainty. And it is so tempting to point out that we need leadership and clarity in this moment. And the president is a walking embodiment of the opposite of those things. Though, by pointing it out, we are in some way denigrating the entire society's capacity to believe in their leaders, even when their leaders should be believed. Yes, I know the president has done it to himself. I'm not arguing otherwise. Pence was a terrible choice to lead a scientific commission. But what if there comes a time when Pence really does need to communicate something real and urgent and he's the one designated to do so? Should we be the first to point out, I don't know, I wouldn't believe these guys, they haven't had credibility in the past? Or should we say, yes, 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 I know their background, but this one seems right, people. So what I'm saying is the virus has us all in its thrall and the administration has us in its grip. What I like to do is think back on other times, past times, and not the good times, but the bad times, the times when we were up in arms or at each other's throats. But now we could look back and realize it was about nonsense, panicky nonsense, like say, lascivious halftime entertainment at the Super Bowl, nip slips and so forth that occupied much of the national attention. It was heated. It was accusatory. But realize this, That time is still with us. We are living in the exact same moment because the FCC has received 1,312 complaints from viewers of Super Bowl 54. That was the last one. And the focus of the viewers' wrath was clear. It was J-Lo's ass and Shakira's and the writhing and the tongues and the shaking and the bottoms. Oh, the bottoms. In these 1,312 complaints, the word but was used 117 times with two T's, but none of these were used in a laudatory fashion. The word crotch appeared 391 times. Three viewers complained to the FCC about indecency and deployed the word asshole in their complaint, as in allowing soft porn with stripper poles and assholes being shown. Are you telling children, another viewer complained, that they have to wave their assholes and crotches around with a bullseye on them to be talented singers? I certainly hope not. One viewer quoted section 2108 of the criminal code. Of course, it was the part that says, quote, a person commits an offense if he exposes his anus or any part of his genitals with intent to arouse or gratify the sexual desires of another person. I see right there, you know, if I was J-Lo's lawyer, I think I could get her off the hook just because of the gendered pronouns. One irate viewer said he was disgusted and demanded an FCC fine, 
over Jimmy Garoppolo overthrowing Emmanuel Sanders in the fourth quarter. I did make that one up. But the rest of these, I did not make up. Listen and enjoy these irate complaints of the most recent Super Bowl. Spokane Valley, Washington. A message must be sent to stations like Fox that on one hand, we have millions of women being trafficked and abused. And on the other hand, we have women like these claiming to be feminists and prancing about like whores. And they wonder why so many women are abused and raped and trafficked in this country alone. Gaithersburg, Maryland. Eight. J-Lo did some pole dancing in a minimalist costume that barely covered her lady parts while presiding over what is meant to look like an orgy, with people in white bondage wear writhing below her, plus more crotch grabbing. 9. J-Lo freak dancing, which happens when a woman backs her butt up to a man's crotch and they rub against each other as they dance. 10. The camera's focusing on the butts. Meriden, Connecticut. This is not a strip club. You are representing thousands of people throughout the entire country, and you represented us by showing and shaking your ass on national TV. She could have been much classier. Hey, but look where she comes from. She comes from the New York City housing in the Bronx. Shame on her for wearing the flag and stripping on stage. It has been very clear that her movie The Hustler was not a hit at all. Edmond, Oklahoma. The vagina-grabbing demeaning of females has to stop. This is a family show, not a sexual predator show. Next time, just show Robert Kraft's message parlor videos. Waxhaw, North Carolina. I found the content of the Super Bowl halftime show distasteful. Having families exposed to such sexual entertainment is wrong. Let me say I have no problem with Latina women sharing their culture. Flower Mound, Texas. I am shocked you would allow this monstrous show of gratuitous sex, including a stripper pole portraying the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. Fort Worth, Texas. We're big Chiefs fans and even bigger on trying to live for God. So the Super Bowl this year was like a fantastic sandwich that had a corner dipped in the toilet. Atlanta, Georgia. What few community standards remain these days were stripped away, no pun intended, by J-Lo. Should be J-Lo. Mechanicsville, Virginia. Vulgar gyrations, peaks at private parts, or at least the appearance of such peaks, and to add the final dagger, pole dancing. What part of such displays makes women appear anything more than meat? Had a man attempted to appear in bottomless chaps in a thong, it never would have made it on air. Dunedin, Florida. If I had wanted to watch nothing but crotch and butthole TV, I could have just watched a porn video or got a porn mag. And yes, that person from Oklahoma literally made reference to Robert Kraft's message parlor because the Patriot owner carries his tension in his inbox. On the show today, I spiel about Bernie Sanders' plan to actually get his agenda passed, a plan that rests on an unbelievably troublesome theory of governance. But first... Maria Konnikova is back, and this is one to stay up late for because we are talking about the effects of blue light on awakenedness. These are the lights from phones, monitors, computers, screens, basically. Come to the light. Come to the blue light. We'll run from it. We'll discuss on Is That Bullshit with Maria Konnikova up next. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. 
And it's not just how good it looks, it's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity, using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. So a little bit about me. I was listening to an interview with Tony Gonzalez, and he was talking about all the hacks that he does. Oh, he's the former tight end who mm, played for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Atlanta Falcons, probably will make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And this guy's open to a lot of biohacks. And one of the hacks he mentioned set me down a hack rabbit hole. And I was reading the biohacking book and something called sleepadvisor.org. And they started talking about blue and red spectrum light as it affects sleep. Uh, should you not put on the light when visit the bathroom at night and other important concerns. And so as I was reading this, I was saying a little niggling thought in the back of my mind was going like this. Is this bullshit? And then I remembered. I have an expert on hand. She's right here. Case of emergency. Break glass to adjudicate if that is bullshit. She is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Biggest Bluff. We have talked about blue light before, but I want to talk about blue light, red light, sleep. Hello, Maria. Thanks for coming back on. Of course. Thanks for having me, Mike. So let's establish the baseline. In the past, we've talked about, for instance, when you go to sleep, if you're exposing yourself to a laptop or a uh, phone with the blue light. Like As you've said, that is bad. We that have, is bad. Yes. We have research to show that's bad. Yes, and we've have now more, even more research than the last time we talked about this. Because yes. there's more blue light than ever there's before. There's more blue light, yes. Right. In the last two years, a bunch of papers have come out looking at intensity, looking at wavelength, looking at you know duration of exposure, and the bottom line is bad. Yeah. yeah, so looking at a screen, a little bit different from being in a room with bright luminescent lights. Absolutely. So we know that all screens basically emit blue light, which is the shortwave light that makes us think, oh, daylight, right? So it resets our circadian clock and makes us kind of, it's basically like the equivalent of moving time zones, right? Yes. So all of a sudden, <laughs> instead, of, right. instead of it being time to go to bed, you're like, oh, wait, no, no, it isn't. That's right. Sometimes I'm on a certain app or website and it's like, I've just moved to Kansas City. I don't yeah. know what that is. Exactly. That's what exactly. It is. And just to, as a refresher for people who don't remember the last time we talked about this, we have circadian clocks in every cell of our body. We have receptors in our eyes. So you, when you were in school, you probably learned about rods and cones. Mm -hmm. There are also receptors called melanopsin. I never took driver's ed just though. <laughs> oh, wait, you're speaking the eye thing. Yes. Okay, yes. 
Yes. So there are melanopsin receptors, which are only sensitive to light and dark. And even people who are blind, those receptors are still active. And so they will still entrain correctly to light and uh, dark cycles, even though they're technically some, blind. Some people who are blind, right? Yes. 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 Some people this who is are blind. There are, there are yes. drugs now for yes. people who some people their who clocks are blind. regulated. Yep. Interesting. Yep. You know, this is something that we know and that one of the big things that tells our bodies and our circadian clock when it's time to go to bed is light, right? So is it daytime or is it starting to be time to go to sleep? Should we be releasing melatonin? Should our body temperature be dropping? Mm-hmm. Right? Should our body be saying, okay, time to gear up for bed or not? And so what we've discovered is that screens have this kind of blue shortwave light that says daylight. Not all lights do, actually. Basically, light bulbs can be in different spectrums. So there are red spectrum light bulbs. There are light bulbs that don't necessarily have some of that. So it depends on what your lighting is like in your house. But yes, most lights, not great. But screens, worse than actually overhead lights, oftentimes, unless you have fluorescent lights, which are really bad. Any difference between television screens and screens on your mobile phone or no? IPad? So there was No, there was actually um, one study that looked exactly at that. Um, and they had either a large LED screen, um, an iPad, a Kindle Paperwhite, huh. um, or an iPhone and found that it was actually pretty similar. Yeah. And it's not the intensity of the light necessarily. No, like your light it's the wavelength. Your, right. So your pretty dim iPhone could be emitting a lot more blue light than your, or blue light at all, as opposed to a very bright light in your living room. Yeah, it's not intensity. So there was actually a study that came out a little over a year ago, and they had people in a lab for two weeks, and they looked at a 22-inch LED computer screen for two hours. And this study was actually one of the only ones that manipulated both light intensity and wavelength. And they found that wavelength disrupted sleep continuity and sleep architecture. Architecture just, just means how long you spend in each phase mm-hmm. of, of sleep. So s- slow wave, REM sleep, all of those different things, sleep architecture. And it made people more sleepy during the day. And their melatonin secretions were down, body temperature didn't decline, and that light intensity could affect it, but much, much less. And the effect of the light intensity dimmed (laughs) in comparison to the effect of of the wavelength. Well, you are making me brighter. Are they, what about filters? Do they work? They sell them. This one has a lot of studies because people are worried about this, and they should be. So there was a study that was done in London last year, and it looked at different things that emit light. So it had people read or play Angry Birds, and they found out that actually the um, amount of brightness on both text and Angry Birds is the same. Uh-huh. So it doesn't really matter. And they this must have been at, around a 2013 study. No, no, <laughs> this was this was more recent. But researchers are always a little are, behind. Oh, I see. They're usually a little behind the curve. They're like, oh, Angry Birds is a thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. And by the time they discover that Angry Birds is no longer a thing, that's right. But, yes. The plants and the zombies have worked it all out, etc. Exactly. Yeah. So they had some people use iPads, some people use Kindles, some people use iPhones, and then they looked at. Two different types of technology for filtering the light. One was orange-tinted blue-blocking glasses. Mm-hmm. So those are those glasses that you put on that say that they block the light, Yeah, which is kind of, 
I love that. Anyway, <laughs> it makes me think of those old movie theaters where you wore the glasses. Oh, the 3D glasses? Yeah, the yeah, 3D yeah, glasses. Yeah. That's what it With makes With the one me think red of. and the one yes, blue. that's yeah. what it makes me think of. And then they also used an app called Sleep Aware. And that says that it's going to filter out the blue from, from your screen so mm-hmm. that it acts as an app filter. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they found that actually both did reduce the shortwave emission exposure. They didn't completely block it, but they reduced it. Interesting. And do people, okay, so the filters work to limit the light, but have Mm -hmm. they studied if the people who use the filters to limit the light are getting as good a sleep as the people who aren't exposing themselves to the light in the first place? No, but that would be a very good study to do. We're thinking of good studies here. And and I think that they would probably find that they're not simply because I think... One of the confounding variables here is that the types of things you're doing on a screen, what we know about sleep apart from light is that, you know, it's not great to keep working right up until Right, yes, then. yes. That, and unlike TV, which maybe you put on one channel and leave it, you know, you have to be interactive on right. screens, yeah. Um, and, you know, your, your brain is engaged mm-hmm. and your brain wants to wind down before sleep otherwise you'll have you know racing thoughts all sorts of things that's why some people meditate before bed that's why there are all sorts of kind of relaxation routines before bed but if you're using a screen if you're using your ipad if you're looking at news you know if you're doing these things like right up until bed i think that regardless of wavelength that's actually also going to mess with your sleep that makes sense um so from, just from, from other data that we have. So I think that the answer to your question, if I were to speculate, is that the people who weren't using the filters and weren't just weren't on a device probably sleep better because they're probably doing other things before bed. They might be reading a book or they might be having a conversation with someone or they, you know, they're, they're just doing something that's not ranting on Twitter. Now on the, uh, the big biohackingbook.com, yeah. They make some other claims, like you should get enough blue spectrum light during the day, especially right after waking up. Anything to that? Like, get on your screen right away? Well, <laughs> so <laughs> there's something to getting sunlight. Yes, they also say that. Get a, get a minimum of uh, 15 minutes outside in the sunlight. So the sun does things that are that go beyond what a light can do. So if you can't go outside, sure, it's good to have some bright lights on in the morning. And there is actually work that's been done on light therapy. Yes. And there's good data that light therapy can help mood disorders. Um, So it does work. It can work. We're saying mood disorders. We're not talking about like healthy people. Yes. And it can help alleviate some circadian sleep disorders. So some people have delayed sleep phase syndrome or advanced sleep phase syndrome. That means they get sleepy either too early or too late. Shift workers often have these problems because they're flipping their sleep cycles. People who travel a lot have these problems because of this constant jet lag, because you're actually, rather than artificially switching (laughs) your time zone. They're really going to Kansas City. They're really going to Kansas City. If you will. If you will, if you will. And so Light therapy does seem to be effective, but even more effective is just sunlight because sun gives you more cues that actually it's time to reset your clock. So the good news is that, I mean, this is both the good news and the bad news. Our circadian clocks are very sensitive to light. Mm -hmm. So it's bad news because screens disrupt it and everything we do can disrupt it. But it's good news because you can also reset it with light cues. Yes. And they're also going to take those. And every time you do that, they're like, oh, okay, I'm reset. So if you reset it and actually do it, 
knowingly and at the right time, then it can be very helpful. So it's not like something like where you're like, oh, shit, you know, I screwed up my circadian rhythm. Now I'm never going to be able to fix it. It's easy to fix. But then you just have to not screw it up again by doing the exact same thing you did wrong the first time around. By the way, is it true we're on a 25-hour circadian cycle, even though the day is on a 24-hour one? Every person has their own circadian cycle. And yes, some people are on 25, some people are on 23. Yeah. Um, If you are ever um, allowed to go to sleep and wake up naturally with kind of no no alarm clocks ever, you can do a sleep study where you will find what your natural cycle is and it's not going to be 24 hours Uh almost nobody is actually 24 hours yeah now what about red light know anything about red light yeah well red light is just part of the warmer light spectrum Mm -hmm. that shouldn't actually affect sleep as much and there have been studies that show that if you have red light at very very high intensity then it starts to affect sleep but otherwise red light doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. so red light is a part of the red yellow part of the spectrum is a wavelength that doesn't affect our sleep as much. Yes. So so the red-yellow part of the spectrum is pretty harmless as far as sleep disruption. All right. So with all of this information, some of which you, I'm sure, found out about by looking at apps a half hour before bed. Yes, yes. clearly. Is blue light, the intake of blue light, a major consideration in your sleep and a possible sleep disruptor? Yes, That's not bullshit. That's not bullshit. Is there anything to this biohacking, worry about blue light stuff that you want to highlight as possible bullshit? No, actually, these particular biohacks, like try filters, try the opposite filter, they they can work. The only thing that I will say is is kind of bullshit is probably like you just don't want to be on your apps right before bed. So I think that rather than try to biohack that, I would biohack your way out of needing it by... um, leading a life that you're not working (laughs) right up until you go to sleep and you're not reading the news, you know, maybe get off of social media and unless like there's someone will die if you're not on your phone right up until bedtime, maybe put it away. I know people who have their phones in a different room of the house so that they won't use them before bed. That's extreme, but that's how about like a Sabbath boy for phones. Yeah. Someone who you just assigned it to and you can't touch it yeah. at night. I think I think that that's that actually... Poor, that poor guy is up. You know, I think that some of these things are... The biohacks themselves aren't bullshit, but yeah. I think that the fact that we need them is kind of bullshit. Insightful. Insightful, yes. Maria. And for more of Maria's insights, read The Biggest Bluff, which is coming out... June 23rd. June 23rd. Maria Konnikova is an author and a scholar, and she comes here to play Is That Bullshit? As always, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And now the spiel. Bernie Sanders, it is alleged, specifically by David Brooks in the New York Times today, is hostile to institutions. He says, quote, liberals like Hubert Humphrey, Ted Kennedy, and Elizabeth Warren were and are such effective senators because they worked within the system, negotiated and practiced the art of politics. Sanders was a useless House member and has been a marginal senator because he doesn't operate within this system or believe in this theory of change. You got him wrong, says the left. And Brooks, I would agree, Brooks mostly gets that wrong. But the example that they cite to disprove David Brooks, 
it, it illustrates something that I want to talk about. So in Vox, Zach Beauchamp makes the case that Bernie Sanders does believe in institutions. He writes, the filibuster is the best example. While other Democrats have proposed eliminating it entirely, Sanders has suggested he'd prefer to keep it. Slate's political editor Tom Skoka, writing on Twitter, says one of Elizabeth Warren's few judiciously chosen attack lines against Sanders is that he's such a committed institutionalist, he won't abolish the filibuster. She was on TV this week saying this in the debate. Indeed, she was. Pete Buttigieg was too. I want to come back to this question about the filibuster because uh, this is not some long ago bad vote that Bernie Sanders took. This is a current bad position that Bernie Sanders holds. So is it that simple, really? Bernie's not some bomb thrower because he likes the filibuster. What self-respecting Bolshevik needs a 60-vote supermajority before tossing his Molotov cocktail? Oh, if it were only that easy. I believe that Bernie's opposition to the filibuster tells us something very important about Bernie's theory of governance, which is that his theory of governance is mostly still in the realm of the theoretical. Sanders has not had an influence on most of the legislation to come out of the Senate since he's been there. Granted, uh, ever since 2015, the Senate has been controlled by Mitch McConnell, but he was there for eight years beforehand without much to show for it. He was in the, he's been in the House and Senate combined for almost 30 years in that time. He was the main sponsor of seven, a total of seven bills, mostly about any renaming post office and so forth. Now, being the main sponsor of a bill, it ain't much, but Bernie's record as an author of important legislation in any regard ain't much either. Matt Iglesias of Vox and others say Sanders is pragmatic when it comes to advancing the progressive cause instead of opting for perfection. Yeah, he will take half a loaf over none, but he's never been the baker of actual loaves or actual laws that affect people's actual lives. That's not even my main point. My main point, again, is about the filibuster. What preserving it says about Sanders as a an institutionalist. So you could read that narrow fact. He's one of the few senators who says, let's keep it, and conclude that it supports the idea that Bernie Sanders doesn't want to blow up the Senate. The problem is that if the filibuster isn't taken away, it seems like Bernie Sanders has no chance of passing his agenda. With that in mind, Bernie Sanders has come up with an alternative plan. Strap in. I would remind everyone, this is a statement of CNN, I would remind everyone that the budget reconciliation process with 51 votes has been used time and time again to pass major pieces of legislation that under our Constitution and the rules of the Senate, it is the vice president who determines what is and is not permissible under budget reconciliation. I can tell you, you know how you'd say it, right? I could tell you this. That a vice president in a Bernie Sanders administration will determine that Medicare for all can pass through the Senate under reconciliation. All right, I got to explain what's going on here. So this thing that he's talking about, reconciliation, it is for legislation that can't be filibustered. You can say or you can argue, all right, this only needs a 51% vote, and it's true with certain legislation, but the rules are to be considered a piece of legislation that's eligible for reconciliation. Oh, all the uns, I know it's maybe losing someone who's not steeped in this to begin with, but it is true that for a piece of legislation to be unfilibusterable, all right, it needs to be budget neutral. Medicare for all is the least budget neutral thing ever proposed, literally. So it seems like Bernie's stuck. 
all right, he wants to pass this through reconciliation. It's clearly not eligible for reconciliation. Here's where the vice president thing comes in. Remember, the vice president is the president of the Senate. So something gets ruled, okay, you can't, you can't use reconciliation. This thing is subject to the filibuster. And the person who rules that is the parliamentarian. But Sanders is saying the vice president can overrule the parliamentarian. And he can or she can. It's been done once and it would cause a great upheaval, a revolution, if you will. And that's how Bernie Sanders plans to preserve the filibuster to get his signature legislation through. By having the parliamentarian overruled by his vice president. And the theory, what the vice president would say in overruling the parliamentarian who would just have to listen to Bernie Sanders, who concedes that Medicare for all is not budget neutral, the explanation the vice president would give, well, it wouldn't have to be anything. He or she doesn't have to give an explanation. You could say facts. You could say revolution. You could say purple wiffle ball clam platypus. It doesn't matter. Because all that matters is not the rules and not the truth, but the agenda. This is what would justify overruling the parliamentarian. Can you imagine if Ted Cruz or Rand Paul proposed this? You don't have to imagine. They did. They wanted to gut Obamacare and they proposed, oh, we'll just overrule the parliamentarian. And it caused holy hell. Actually, it was just so widely dismissed as crazy. And other Republicans were saying, well, we can't possibly do that. And just think a little bit an inch beyond the first order effect of passing Medicare for all with only 51 votes by overruling the parliamentarian. It would definitely also kill the filibuster. There's no way you can keep a filibuster in place if you knew that the parliamentarian could always be overruled by the vice president. Then everything is subject to only 51 votes as long as the same party who controls the White House controls the Senate. Again, This is no theory of governance. It is so in love with being revolutionary or radical or just wrong that it's nonsensical. So what is sensical? Well, this lady seemed to have some sense to her when she spoke back in April of 2019. For generations, the filibuster was used as a tool to block progress on racial justice. And in recent years, it's been used by the far right as a tool to block progress on everything. So let me be as clear as I can about this. When Democrats next have power, we should be bold. We are done with two sets of rules, one for the Republicans and one for the Democrats. And that means when the Democrats have the White House again, if Mitch McConnell tries to do what he did to President Obama, and put small-minded partisanship ahead of solving the massive problems in this country, then we should get rid of the filibuster. I'll admit this issue will in no way sway one voter in the presidential election. And it probably shouldn't because the filibuster isn't even a presidential prerogative. The Senate makes its own rules. But diving even a little bit into Bernie Sanders' theories on how he's going to turn his theories into reality leaves me with a theory that he's not being real. And that's it for today's show. 
Priscilla Lobby is the just associate producer. She cannot, for the life of her, find Butthole TV on her cable provider. What's it like, Channel 143? Uh, she has Comcast, not Spectrum. Damn, because the real buttholes of Orange County is about to start. Daniel Schrader, just producer, desperately wants to be the man who appears in bottomless chaps and a thong just to test that viewer's theory. It is in the name of science, people. The gist, reminding you that all chaps are bottomless and hustlers made 157 million worldwide and 105 domestic. Umpur Deparu Duparu, and thanks for listening.